Hello, and welcome back to Actors on Process, with me, your host, James Crichton. I hope you're enjoying these interviews, and if you're ever interested in finding out more information about any of my guests, or me, please feel free to visit my website at www.james-crichton.com slash podcast. For today's episode, I hesitate to give a long introduction, since I made my poor guest endure sitting directly across from me as I read a prepared speech about her in her face. I know, I am the devil, and that must have been so awkward for her, but she handles it like a celebrity, because she is a celebrity, and you will be able to hear in my voice how nervous I was at first to be in her presence. Luckily, I warmed up pretty quickly, and we had an amazing conversation. And so, without any further ado, I present today's guest, Teresa McCarthy. My guest today is Teresa McCarthy, and to be honest, I'm a little starstruck because this woman was the voice of so many of my favorite cast recordings as I was developing my musical theater taste as a huge nerd in high school and at theater camp. Floyd Collins, Titanic, Myths and Hymns, The Frog slash Evening Primrose, and then later Queen of the Mist and First Daughter Suite. Her singing is so expressive without ever embellishing Her storytelling is crystal clear, and her tone is so emotional, beautifully capturing feeling of both longing and love. So close your eyes, concentrate, and I bet you can hear her singing through the mountain and migratory V. I am so honored to be sitting across from you, and so without any further ado, Teresa McCarthy. Oh my gosh, James. (laughs) It's so nice to meet you. It's lovely to meet you. Thank you for coming. And so I'm wondering, for starters, if you could paint me a picture. Who you were as a teenager, where you grew up, Mm -hmm. and if you were always singing. Ah, that's a good question. Um, I grew up mostly in Detroit. And um, my first impulse uh, as a kid was to be, I wanted to be an artist um, and I, that, for that, for me, that meant drawing. I loved drawing. Um, but it, it morphed into wanting to make performances, uh, with my sister and my cousins. And, um, so I was, uh, a bossy 10 year old. Um, and I would, uh, I remember one particular project that I, uh, wrote, designed, uh, I also um, uh, told everybody the the harmonies that they were going to sing. I choreographed. Um, I didn't star. I played a sp- I played the parts that people didn't want to play. It was a kind of a Christmas variety show. It seems like Scrooge made a, an appearance, but there was also a little bit of uh, the night before Christmas. There were song and dance moments, and the set was uh, seriously. It was like six, six foot tall. Uh, foam core mm. uh, walls, completely drawn and detailed, and 
the sets were like two boxes that you could, you know, two different rooms that you could move to. I didn't want any set changes. Mm -hmm. I just wanted the two boxes there so you could alternate between the two. And I was, I was whipping everybody into shape for weeks about it. I mean, it wasn't, this wasn't like a quick process. It was a very long process. I was extremely determined. I was a, a tyrant, a bossy tyrant. There were a lot of tears. Mm. Um, and but we did get the show up. Yeah. It 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 we got the show up. And I I mean, I think I was generous. I did not I wasn't going to play the beautiful girl or I played the dads. I played the parts nobody wanted. Um just because I knew, you know, I had to induce them yeah. by, like by giving them something fun to play. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, that we actually have that a lot in common. <laughs> I think I was a fifth grade terror as well. Lots of tears in the classroom. In the classroom. Oh, right. for sure. Because they're not doing it right. They don't know their lines. They're not giving you your cue. And they weren't serious and enough. And why can't they harmonize? Mm. What's wrong with them? A, a quick side note. I was doing the pajama game in fifth grade. <laughs> and and I, I did get in trouble because we were. I was playing Heinze. <laughs> and a girl who I haven't spoken to since middle school... Always playing, I guess, what's her name? Not Mabel. Um, Gladys? I, who knows? <laughs> One of the roles. And uh, I looked at her in the middle of the rehearsal and I, and I just stopped it and I said, you can't, you can't find your note. <laughs> I said, you can't, you can't find the note. And it's very complicated. And the director, who I'm still very good friends with, was like, you, you cannot say that to her. <laughs> so I guess we're both simpatico in, yes, that, yes. in that sense. But so when did you know... <laughs> That this was something that you wanted or needed to do, or I guess as some actors say, answer the call. Right. It is a call. Um, it's like a religious calling. Uh, you know, I, I did plays throughout high school. Every opportunity I could, I was in a musical or a play. Um, and uh, when I went to college at University of Michigan, I thought I might declare a theater major, but I ended up, uh, I, don't, I don't even know, is there a theater? Well, at that time, you know, there wasn't the whole musical theater. It started while I was there. Got it. But I wasn't a part of that, though I had a lot of friends in it. Um, I was uh, just in the regular old theater company, and I, I had a, I thought I was going to get a communications degree, but I don't even know what degree. I, I think I got a theater oh. degree from there. I have, have no idea. And I was taking voice lessons at the music school, and I worked with an amazing uh, graduate student there and sang a little bit of, just a, a tiny bit of opera. I'd been singing in high school, too, and doing those vocal juries. I don't know if you ever did sure. that thing where you sing art songs and stuff. Um, uh, but I, I do have to say... Even though I studied music for a long time, I'm a really, I think I'm a really bad reader. So most of my reading throughout high school, I was just pretty much faking it. Winging it, yeah. Um, I could hear it. Like if my teacher played it for me, I pretty much could remember it the next time. And that, that skill took me a long way. <laughs> like I, yeah. I, you know, sometimes even now when I get music, um, it's going to be laborious for me. I'm going to have to sit there and plunk, plunk. and play over and over. And I, I do, I want to track, um, but I do prepare meticulously so that it, it looks like I can read. And uh, I fooled a few people. Yeah. Some people think I'm a really good reader. I'm not. <laughs> uh, I'm not. I have a good memory and a good ear for it. Amazing. And so then, um, I'm blabbing on, but I'm going to just going to tell you, at Michigan, I did a lot of plays. I got lucky. I got cast a lot. 
And what um, was your favorite thing that you did? My favorite thing was um, something called uh, oh god, now it's gone out of my head. Uh-huh. It's a Brendan Behan play. Oh okay, The Hostage, and it was directed by this most wonderful teacher. Uh, there at the time her name was Mary Kelly then now it's Alexa Kelly and she gave me a revolutionary idea about um, a way to be in a role and it it really involved movement Um, she was my acting teacher but she was really uh, insistent that we all have a ritual moving and dancing together before the production and it wasn't like we were doing any particular dance we were just getting into it with each other. And that gave me um, an understanding about myself and the way I approach work uh, that I, I live with to this day, that I utilize. It has to do with how do I walk? How, where's the center of gravity? Where, what do I lead with? How is, how is this person different from or similar to me? And it doesn't mean I don't have to have a a hump or a patch or a mustache to to make it work, although I do like having the mustache occasionally. <laughs> um, but it really comes from the physical, from getting my muscles going. That's how I, I discover it. Oh, we need to talk more about that in a second. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you brought that up. But um, So then, since you weren't exactly a theater major, is that what led you to your graduate studies? Yeah, well, I guess I, I guess I was a theater major. I just, I'm just saying I can't really remember what the actual degree was in. Sure. <laughs> I mean, it might have been communications, or and... I mean, it just was different then. You just did a kind of a basic liberal arts in the College of uh, Arts, and I don't know what it was. Liberal arts in the College of Liberal, liberal Arts, you just did a basic study. You had to take science and math and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that, or you got to. Um, there was a graduate program at Michigan uh, when I was there for a short time, and I was really close to many of the people in the program, and I thought, huh, I didn't know you could go to graduate school for acting. This is back in 1985. I mean, of course you could, but I you know, I was only just mm-hmm. becoming aware of all of the op- options and the opportunities. So I, I auditioned you know, in my senior year, and... Um, I only auditioned for a few. I auditioned for Juilliard, didn't get in. Mm-hmm. Yale, didn't get in. Um, Northwestern, didn't get in. <laughs> NYU, I got in. Ooh. And uh, UC San Diego. And then when I saw how much it was going to cost to go to NYU at the time, and at that time it was like 20000 I was like, what? Mm. I'm not paying $20,000 a year to go to graduate school. I'm probably not going to make any money. Smart choice. So I went to UCSD because um, I really liked Arthur Wagner, who came to audition me. He's just this wonderful, wonderful man who was one of the founders of the league schools, all of the league schools. Mm. He started out at Tulane, and by that time he'd made his way to San Diego, and um, he just was adorable. And I thought, this seems like a good place, you know? After you're there for six months... You're an in-state resident. You don't have any more tuition. And then in your second and third year, you get a a stipend. So, I mean, I can afford this. This sounds good. So that's where I went. And God, am I glad. It's so beautiful. Yeah. I met met so many wonderful people in my class, um, on the faculty, 
at the La Jolla Playhouse. Right. Uh, and it was a springboard for my career because uh, about my second year there, Anne Bogart came to my school to direct something. And we worked together beautifully. And she took me on for the next year to go do my first professional show in New York. Wow. So that was sort of then... That was my springboard. That was your springboard. Mm -hmm. But did you also, um, aside from that, were you also um, able to showcase and find an agent that way? Or was that really your... You know, we did have a showcase, but I don't think I got any real traction from it. I I probably went... I got some... um, casting director interest in LA and I went to a few things there but I I quickly realized that LA wasn't wasn't going to be the thing for me um I came to New York and I did a piece with a a company called Music Theater Group that doesn't exist anymore sadly and they they were marvelous they did so many beautiful works but um the piece was called Cinderella Cendrillon and it was a Massenet opera Cendrillon combined with a text by Eve Ensler. And there were two Cinderella's. There was an acting Cinderella, not me, I was a sister, and an opera Cinderella uh, who was played by a a fabulous opera diva named Lauren Flanagan, who is a brilliant, brilliant uh, singer and educator now. Um, And we did that uh, up in Stockbridge first as a workshop, and then we did it at St. Clement's Church. So that was my... That was my New York debut. Um, and then after that, what did I do? I did some more things in Stockbridge, and then I, I auditioned for the acting company. And I sprang into life on the road with the acting company. I don't know if you know, that's the company. That's the Juilliard. Yeah, they, they usually work with Juilliard students, and it was almost all Juilliard students. But they, um, they took me on, and I, I, uh, uh, that was a wonderful adventure. I, I yeah. thought... I've got it made. I thought this is the way it's going to be all the time. I'm going to get $500 a week pay and $500 a week per diem. Wow. Woohoo! You know, it was 1988. Yeah. It was amazing. And uh, so I did that for about a year. And then Anne Bogart took over the artistic directorship of the Trinity Trinity Playhouse in uh, Providence. And she took a few people up there with her for that season and we had a, an incredible experience doing really wonderful and strange and uh, sometimes unpopular works up mm-hmm. there for the good people of Providence. Right. Um, Anne's uh, and our stay at Providence sadly only lasted a year. Uh, I could have seen myself joining that company for the rest of my life. I would have I would have loved to have been a part of a rep company or yeah. it's not rep but you know, to get to do two roles a season or a, a half season, you know, four roles or three roles. I would love, I would have loved that. And I always thought that that was where I was going to go. That's what I was trained for. That's what they were training us mm-hmm. for in graduate school at that time, to be a, a repertory actor. Company member. Shakespeare and Chekhov and new plays and yeah. Ibsen and maybe dip into some musical theater if we could do that and... Uh, sadly, that didn't happen. Right. That's so interesting. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Um, and, you know, you sort of just segued into my next question about the stigma that sort of exists mm-hmm. that, like, musical theater actors don't do straight plays. Mm-hmm. 
and vice versa. And um, how I'm wondering, how do you find that this sort of more classical training has informed your work in the musical theater? Yeah. Um, I really don't like that stigma. Mm. But, of course, um, I bought into it when I was at University of Michigan um, because there's always a divide between kind of the two impulses. The musical theater impulse has a kind of, um, I want to say, more of a desire to please behind it in just that's that's a real simplistic way of saying it because it's bigger than that but there we in the musical theater don't mind looking straight out at the audience and saying we are here together on this journey and isn't this great you know we sometimes can can wink at the audience a little bit um and uh serious whereas serious acting is something that is kind of done in the privacy of your uh, method heart uh, often. Not always, but often. There's a, there's a kind of sense in training programs that people who want to be serious actors are deeper, more devoted, more willing to go out on a limb and uh, not frivolous. I don't buy it. Um, I think that the musical theater actors that I know are every bit as uh, deep and devoted, and they can do it while also singing A's and C's, or you know, while also crawling on their they can crawl on their stomachs and also make you laugh. I I don't know. I just I've found my home in the musical theater, and. I never want to be anywhere else. That's what those are the those are my people. Mm-hmm. The kindest, dearest people that I know, um, and I know so many wonderful, wonderful people who are, you know, pretty. You you'd think, wow, I'm I'm starstruck by that person. They're so famous and well known, and I just find them all to be completely approachable, down-to-earth, kind, generous, generous people. Of course. Yeah. Such as yourself. <laughs> um, so now we're sort of segueing into um, auditioning. Yeah. And I do want to come back to that movement thing that you brought mm-hmm. up. But I want to know, what is the first thing that you do with audition material or preparing for a role? Um, either a script or a score. So you talked a little bit about what you do with a score. And I know... It varies depending on the project, but is there something sort of universal? Mm -hmm. Well, um, I want to know a lot about the writers. So I look into who's written it. I listen to their other work. I read things about them. I read some of their other uh, scores or, or scripts if they're available. I want to know something about the way they approach language, and I want to know something about uh, what is it that tickles them or inspires them. And I get kind of inklings and ideas about a writer based on on their, you know, their oeuvre, what they've got got there in the uh, in their past. And then um, I just read it a lot. I read it out loud. 
Uh, I feel it's really important not to just think through lines. I have to say them out loud. I say them a lot of different ways. I'll want to be at almost memorized if I can, but uh, it's okay to hold hold on to the paper I've found. Um, it's hard to read along music, mm. I think, uh, in an audition situation. So that one, that has to really be a lot better prepared. But I'm not going to be memorized because I think that puts... Um, that I think that puts an idea into to the auditor's mind that you you know that this is a performance. It's not. It's an audition, so you can hold the paper, but you don't have to refer to it mm-hmm. all the time. Um, I will always want to try to figure out some ways that I might want to move, um, which has sometimes backfired for me oh. <laughs> with particular um, directors. Uh, I can remember one uh, audition that I did for um, Sound of Music, and uh, the song was "I Have Confidence," mm. and you know that she's like, you know how it is. They were putting "I Have Confidence" in the, into the show. yeah into the show, and so she's like skipping down the street, riding a bicycle. How do you stand in a room? So I was, and it's also a thirteen or fourteen page long song. Yeah. So. Um, so I came up with a brilliant idea of like, uh, as I get done with the page, I'll just throw it, toss them all uh-huh. around. She hated it. <laughs> <laughs> she hated it. She let me read after that, but then she was like, okay, now you can, let's pick this all up. And I was like, okay. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It backfired. It's a shame. It's a shame when you put yourself out there and you feel that it backfires. I have really been, this year, that has been a goal of mine to sort of like throw something to the wall. And I will say half of the time it's been incredibly successful. And half the time you can just tell when it's not. Yeah. It's not working. It's not working. Yeah, you know. And the thing that I, the the, the reason that I bring up the movement thing is, you know, I, I I prepare a lot as well. And... The thing for me that I'm finding is that sometimes I get into the room and I have an idea at home or mm-hmm. as I'm working with a coach or something about how I'm going to move in the audition room. And then the minute that I start speaking, something else happens in me. <laughs> Does that ever happen to you? And I don't yeah. know what it is. <laughs> yeah. It just happened to me yesterday. That's why I'm interested to talk about it because it's like I, 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 practice, I practice a certain way and then my body kind of takes over. And I'm wondering if that is one of two things. I'm wondering if that is like, go with it. That is maybe who this person is. Or if it's, you're not as specific in what you're trying to do. Mm, And mm. so like, that is something that when I walk away from an audition, I'm always trying to think about like, was that effective? I don't know. Yeah. That's sort of the place I'm at right now. Right. Um, So I just don't even care if, if a thing was effective anymore. I just... If it works, great. And if it doesn't, that's fine. Sure. I'm at a place where I don't... And I've been there for a long time. Mm -hmm. But I understand that feeling. And I think if you can get to the place where you just say, Hey, that's what I did. Yeah. You like it? Great. And your people will see you. Your people will find you. And you know this. And those who are not your people at that time, they will wave you out the door and that's okay maybe you'll come back to it them at a future date or maybe not and it doesn't really matter yeah yeah you've got to find your people and i think that's so important um i think the longer you stay in the game it's easier to find out who those those people are and um 
I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any mantras or something that you bring with you into the audition room to just ground you hmm. before either you walk in the door or maybe before you sing or speak? You know, I, I, um, sometimes, but it changes a little bit depending on what the, the part is. So I don't tend to do things ritualistically relating to my theater work. Um, my preferred state right before I go on stage, for instance, is to be laughing, giggling, and joking around. I could go from he 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 to like crying or whatever, walking on stage. I prefer that to be kind of elevated and bouncy and maybe um, revved up is mm-hmm. a better state for me than than to be um, than to sit in a, in a with zen. A, yeah in a zen place. Mm-hmm. Although I do sometimes take a moment just depending on the part. Like for instance, the um, the kind of ghostly daughter in um, in a first daughter suite, uh, Robin, who comes in, she's a spirit. And so that, that does require, that required for me a bit of um, stillness beforehand. But most, most of the time I'm just giggling yeah. before I come on. I love that. <laughs> well, let's get into the room and, and breaking down specific work. I'd love it. Um, I normally, um, I feel like for the last three interviews or so, I've gone backwards in time. And for you, I would like to start um, sort of in the journey of, my discovery of you. Mm-hmm. So I have uh, Floyd Collins first, which for me, I just want you to know since you all understand this, Floyd Collins, the full $75 vocal score oh my gosh. was my final purchase at Colony Music. Oh, I love that place. So when I found out that they were closing their doors, which was devastating, yeah. uh, I marched myself into Colony and I was like, this final purchase needs to be massive. Yeah. And so, you know, you walk through and you look through the wall of every score or vocal selection book imaginable. And that day, I remember Floyd Collins was the first. And <laughs> and, and this was, I don't remember, that, that uh, colony closed, I think it was 2012. It was my senior year of college. Okay. And um, I was like, this year, James, you will be able to play Floyd Collins. Whoa. And it is 2019, and I still cannot play Floyd well, Collins on the piano. <laughs> but so I want to jump back. So is this, this is 1996, 1997. Um, yeah. No, this was... Earlier um, than that? Yeah. Five? Um, well, we first started working on it, I think, in 93. 93. Mm-hmm. In Philadelphia. Wow. With American Music Theater Festival. Um, and so I knew Tina for, for years. I didn't audition for Floyd Collins. I just jumped into it. Wow. Um, I think most of us, I think mo- many of the people who were in it were asked to do it, although there probably were auditions. Tina, right. Tina's a great auditioner and she auditions extensively. Um, we did it first as a reading in probably in, at Adam Gettle's home. Um, and it was incredible for the first reading. It was breathtaking already. And then we workshopped we workshopped it a couple of times, um, 
And then they went away for about a year. And then in 95, they had a production. Oh, wait, 96. 90, you're right, 96. Because my daughter was was just five months old. My oldest daughter was five months old. Um, wow. So yeah, the timing was great. And we were at Playwrights Horizons. And um, I had worked with Tina a lot already. So I know, I know... Um, I know how she thinks, and I know how she writes. And she's also a collaborator. She's a writer. On this, right? Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, I know. I just know them inside out as people, Adam and Tina. And it's there's a shorthand. I really get. I get them, and I think they get me too. They write. They write to the the their actors' strengths. Definitely, they okay. never. We're writing something. There were, was not a false move. There wasn't anything that I thought, oh, why that? I can't say that. You know, they re- they really write things that make you want to aspire, that make you want to soar with them, and um, and that project was exactly that. Yeah. And everybody in it was exquisite, exquisite performers and collaborators and friends. So That's it was another- a dream. That's another example, though, I think, that I hate the stigma about it. Because when you think about a piece of work like Floyd Collins, I think it almost exists as a play. Like, the text mm-hmm. and what around it is so rich. Yeah. And the storytelling that was done by everybody, I mean, even just through the, the recording, that you mm-hmm. can hear all of it. It's mm-hmm. so extraordinary. And, I mean, so was that just... I, I, I want you to try to, if you can, just like paint a picture of that rehearsal room. So it sounds like it was extremely collaborative. Extremely. With Tina, I, I don't know if you know anything about the viewpoints. I know uh, one of my best friends was in callbacks with her for Spongebob. Ah, uh, great. And he said that it was one of the best audition experiences of his life mm-hmm. so far. Mm-hmm. And it was a long audition process It was about three too, hours or something, or yeah. it was shorter than that, but he was like people by the end of that he was like we went through something together he was mm-hmm. like that like she saw who we were yes he was like and she's extremely collaborative and one of my very good friends who I did a play with last year in Washington D.C. is doing the play with her right now oh, in okay. Chicago right right and he messaged me uh, and he was like it's the night of Tina Landau's birthday and she is one of the most incredible people I have ever had the pleasure of working with <laughs> so I have never personally met her but that's one of the things I of course aspire to but that's why I'm wondering so it seems like she's just so collaborative and helpful at 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 finding the story at hand she is yes she definitely is always looking for the golden uh beautiful blossom of of profound understanding in in whatever she's working on and that's why she is such an incredible writer and why she chooses to work with incredible writers herself. She mm. finds these beautiful souls and exposes what what is in there in in a way that is so uh, loving and and full of delight. She um, she creates a family through movement and experimentation that gives the actor the sense that they're coming up with it completely on their own really she helps us um she helps us free ourselves from overthinking when you're working in the viewpoints you really begin to hone your ability to 
um, follow gut impulses, even if it doesn't make sense to see where it leads. And hopefully you're going to find something that sparks somebody else, another actor working off of you. Maybe your movement or your, the way you say something inspires them. This is the same goal in, in all theater that yeah. we do. But it's more, um, I would say with the viewpoints, it's a little bit more, there's a bit more art in it. And sometimes it can look abstract, but it never feels abstract to me. Mm. Uh, I like abstraction in the theater. Mm. I like naturalism too. I think you can do the viewpoints and work completely naturalistically. I feel like the intention to to work with the objects on a, for instance, on a desk in front of you. I, for me, that all wants to be well planned. I don't want to improvise when I'm, you know, what I'm doing on my desk. I want it to be a part of. Uh, an urge and so I choreograph obsessively um because I like it yeah I love that <laughs> let's thank you for that window in that's very helpful just to know I mean that album for me growing up you have no idea it's sort of just listening to that and the orchestration of it I remember I also read an article this is sort of tangential but I remember I read an article my senior year of high school <laughs> um Jason Robert Brown, I think, had 13 opening on Broadway in 2008. Yeah. And the New York Times did like a, a piece on him. And I remember that they asked him, in the last 20 or so years, what are the scores that have impacted you? Like mm -hmm. what to you as a writer mm -hmm. means something? And he responded, I think I remember all the shows. He said, <laughs> um, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels by David Yazbek. Mm. He said... Um, Lloyd Collins and The Light in the Piazza mm. by Adam Gettle. That's so nice of him. And I think he's maybe once on this island and uh, there might have been one more that he included. And I had not at that point heard Lloyd Collins yet. Mm. So because I needed to, I needed to be in the know. That yeah. was where that urge came from. So I immediately went to listen to it and my yeah. life changed after that. But <laughs> How generous. I'm so glad that he did that. Yeah. Lovely. But so I want to next move mm -hmm. to another show for me which was crazy exciting which is Titanic mm -hmm. and at the summer camp where I teach currently in 2004 uh, the Usdan Musical Theater Repertory Company put on a production of Titanic Whoa. and I was in seventh or eighth grade at the time yeah. I did not know that there was a musical version of Titanic <laughs> that it came out the same year as the film yeah and um I, was, I walked in expecting to hear My Heart Will Go On. Uh, right, sure. I yeah. saw the billing of Titanic. And so I walked in, and there were four performances of the show. The repertory kids got to do four performances. The rest of us did one. And they were fully um, costumed, and there was an orchestra and everything. So for me, walking in to see Titanic, that was another sort of life-affirming moment. Yeah. And I immediately left camp after seeing it, and I flew to the local library where the vocal selection book and the CD were. Holy moly. And I took that home and that I was able to play. Thank you, Maury Esten. But <laughs> I was able to play Titanic and I listened to the opening sequence ad nauseum. Yeah. And um, Godspeed Titanic became the mantra sort of like of that summer. Everybody would just water, walk around and cry singing yeah. that. And so, I mean, that was just some weird boy on Long Island 
in the 2000s. So I can't even imagine what that experience was like for you living it. <laughs> but um, let's go back just for a second because it's an incredibly vocally demanding show. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering sort of in the broad scope of your career, how do you find that you maintain your voice eight times a week? It's really hard when you are singing. Um, I think it's really hard when you're singing the top line <laughs> for the males or the females. Yeah. Um, that is, uh, it's punishing. And I don't know how many high C's there are in that thing, but it's a lot. Eight times a week. Mm-hmm. Um, you, uh, I de- definitely spent quite a few days during the week quiet, just quiet prior to going to show. Um, warm up is, you know, 30 minutes. Even on a two show day, you're gonna do, not 30 minutes, but you're gonna warm up in between, um, before the second show. Um, I definitely found after being in it almost two years that there was a groove that was kind of worn in my voice. Um, and it was, yeah, it was really challenging. <laughs> I bet, I bet. But, you know, I didn't have any huge solos. So, you know, I don't know what it would be like for, for someone like Vicky to sing, Vicky Clark to sing that stuff. Even just in the opening sections. Yeah, because she, and she, Vicky's just got a golden technique. So she's exquisite. I just saw her a couple of weeks ago in, um, Lady in the Dark at City, City Center. Oh, City Center. Oh my God. She is in brilliant form. And the, it was fantastic. It was directed and conducted by Ted Sperling, who was also in Titanic, who also conducted uh, Floyd Collins and um, Saturn Returns. Um, it was exquisite. I wow. was so moved by that. And her voice is incredible. She's just gorgeous. You should talk to Vicky. I mean, I how does she do to. it? I don't know how she does it. Yeah. She's also a teacher, I believe, of voice, She is a right? teacher. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, her voice. She looks beautiful. She's, oh, God. I, I'm, st- I mean, I'm really still thinking about it, the images from it. I was so, I was so moved by it and by Ted's work and Vicky and all of the people in it. Chris Invar was in it, too. Wow. Floyd Collins, he was in it. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that makes me very happy. <laughs> very happy. Um, do you have a favorite story from the rehearsal or preview process from Titanic? Um, I'm just curious about what the atmosphere was like as you approached mm-hmm. um, the opening on Broadway. Yeah. Um, it was a wonderful company of people. There were so many of us. It's a humongous cast. Giant. Uh, it That never happens anymore. We were really lucky. Um, it was all beautiful people, fun people, hilarious people. Oh my God. Before we would go on to die at the end, we would be backstage lined up, ready to climb the stairs to go up and die. And Michael Servers is in there singing Mr. Andrews song. And we're back there whispering. We weren't supposed to. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, my wonderful stage manager, Susan Green and uh, Richard Hester and, uh, you know, Whomever else. Everybody. Really sorry. Uh, But we were back there whispering, and Bill Buell and Brian Darcy James were always saying the most, every single time, the most ridiculously funny thing just before. They'd save it to just before. Mm -hmm. So that I'd be going on with Emily Lesser. We would be dying. 
as we were dying, just utterly dying. So for me, and we weren't supposed to do that. It was really bad. It's terrible. But I think you need a little bit of that joy when a show is so dark. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. We were, we were laughing our heads off most of the time when we were dying. So again, completely joyous production. You can laugh and it looks like crying. Absolutely. It was a joyous production. Cover your face. Wait, I have another really Please. interesting story about it. Um, Please. This is from the first uh, day, the first day of rehearsal, and we were all at uh, 890 Broadway, and um, all of the producers, all of the creatives were in the room. Richard Jones, who's such a genius director, and Maury Esten, and Peter Stone, the writer, book writer, and... And the wonderful Dodgers were all, you know, everybody was there, all of us. And Maury um, was going to play the entire opening, all, the whole thing, and sing it all. Sing it all, just Maury. And so we sat down. It was, like, super exciting. We're going to hear this. Because, you know, we never really heard any of that part. Maybe we sang a song for our audition, but, you know, not that part. Mm. So Maury sat down, and he started the... Overture. He played the overture. Whole thing. Yeah. And then goes into, how do they build Titanic? He sings it. He was playing his ass off oh. for 20 my, I minutes. I need to give myself, like... It, he was going nuts. So just, like, fervent and on fire. And he actually broke a string on the piano as he was playing. I was scared. I was terrified by his ardency, by his fervency. He was, I, Maury is, um, he is today still, to me, such a hero. Uh, I adore him. He is, there's, there are few people who are as consistently um, welcoming of young people asking for guidance and uh, in education or in learning how to do it like Maury. Maury is a consummate teacher. He's so smart. His brain is like, I don't know, he's got more synapses than anybody. He makes connections like crazy from philosophy to visual art to different languages, countries. He knows a lot. And uh, he's a, he's just a, a brilliant fount of, of wisdom. Wow. I adore him. Wow. Well, Speaking of that, I mean, if you had to try to recall the Sitz Probe mm -hmm. for Titanic, mm -hmm. <clears throat> which for anybody who might not know, that is singing the score with its full orchestration for the first time, mm -hmm. all in the same room, if you could describe that occasion, or if that seems distant, perhaps, um, how emotional it might have been um, revisiting Titanic several years ago for the Manhattan Concert production. Yeah, so um, the Sitz Probe, was awe-inspiring. It's a huge orchestra. We had a huge orchestra. This was no no reduced. Not seven pieces. Nothing. Nothing. They didn't cut corners. They they paid for the whole orchestra. Um, I think that when the overture started, there was a feeling in I know there was a feeling in my chest of, oh my gosh, I'm going to cry. It just the first note, and that pretty much continued throughout the whole overture and opening number. It was enormously emotional. Um, I could see a lot of people shaken. 
people were hugging each other and holding on. People were, were going, I can't believe this is going on. We were, we would laugh at the funny moments. Uh, it was, it was incredible. And as you can imagine, when we came back to it years later for the reunion, we had, um, I think we'd lost a couple people already. Some people had, had, um, who'd been in our company were no longer with us. And, uh, but it was just like, it was like being home with family again. It was, uh, it was just, it's everything you want theater, your theater experience to be. Mm-hmm. It feels like home. Absolutely. On a I grand mean, scale. <laughs> even just, but even watching the clips from those, you know which clips I'm talking yeah. about. The rehearsal footage clips are so emotional. I wasn't a part of it at all. Yeah. Like, even for us, it's just like, as obsessive viewers, I mean, just so incredibly beautiful. So it's so gratifying to hear that. It was so the same way for you. Oh, yeah. Um, let's fast forward just a little bit mm-hmm. to um, Queen of the Mist. Mm-hmm. Because you outed yourself as not fully knowing how to read or whatever you mm-hmm. had said. And, I mean, Michael John Lacusa. Yeah. When we talk about complexity in, in writing and, mm-hmm. and music... Um, my question is, if you had to have something constant on the first day of rehearsal, mm-hmm. what you don't want to come in without, um, and especially when it comes to a score as complex as one written by him, uh, you talked a little bit about, you know, you will listen and listen and listen and you will plunk and you'll know, but is there something in addition that you will not walk in without? Mm-hmm. Well, I did a workshop of it. And so at a workshop, you're allowed to not know at first. Sure. Right? So when I first got there, I'd never seen anything and that's okay. You've got a couple of days to figure to, it out. Right, to cram. Um, but if I learn a song one day, I will, will come back knowing it. I'm not going to be fudging through. I won't, I won't be confused about intervals. I will know everything. So if it takes, you know, four hours of rehearsal at home, it, that's what it is. And, and so I will do that. Definitely. And I will um, be playing it over and over. I will only listen to that. So I'm a bit obsessive that way. Um, Yeah, that's what I just come in knowing. And so when I came in for the production of it, I did know what I was going to be singing. There were some new things that weren't in the workshop, but quickly got that. And I don't know, there's just something about good music that makes you want to know it, it. makes you and it makes you want to do your absolute yeah best you just you can't deny it it's no. just you have to know it i'm so curious about it is that um the workshop was that your first encounter with michael john or had you already worked together in the past no that was my first it was uh-huh and i was brought in by um the wonderful jack cummings the third with the transport group um and i don't even know how how jack knew me i I don't even know what happened, but somehow he gave me a call and said, do you want to come do this thing with Michael John? I knew Michael John as a wonderful, brilliant human, but I'd never worked with him before. Um, Maybe he suggested me. I'm sure he might have seen. I don't know. I'm not going to speculate. But anyway, I got in there. I got in there, and that's when I first met him. And, boy, I felt like this guy is for me. I cannot believe how strong. Strange and wonderful his imagination is and how yes. he writes for the period but also it's extremely modern and then he writes everything he writes the book lyrics and the music uh, who does that right. no, hardly anybody anymore mm-hmm. 
it's too difficult. So. Yeah, nothing but respect. Yeah. Um, with his music that I feel like sometimes can be intimidating, mm. I find uh, in almost in almost every show that I do, you know, there's that one scene that either it scares you or there's this one scene that you kind of are like, oh gosh, I hope I, I make it to this point. Or uh, I'm wondering, you know, I have moments backstage where I have to talk myself out of like panic or something. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you ever find that you're getting in your own way, do you have any tools to confront that? Yeah, I do get in my way, my own way sometimes on stage. Um, for me, it, it always happens around a note that I think is too high. <laughs> for me, at mm-hmm, that point, mm-hmm. am I really going to make this A? It's got to be kind of loud, and I just don't feel like I have the oomph for that anymore. You know, I question it. Um, Michael John likes to do that to people. He likes to put you in a dangerous position vocally and I noticed this when I went to see a concert of his that was at the Rose Room a couple of years ago and he gave every single singer in it an opportunity to do something that could have failed beautifully and I watched them prevail each time and it was so exciting mind-blowing but he does that he does that on purpose Mm. he wants to make it dangerous I mean he has reasons for it too for that feed his soul it's not just to make it dangerous for the actor although he loves to see it but also because it's it's where he his soul tells it to go dramatically Uh, so I think it's good to have dangerous moments since I've learned to pretty much embrace that I try to just forget it's hap- coming. Mm-hmm. That's one one thing I do, one coping yeah. mechanism. I think about other things. I concentrate on a small moment with the person that I'm working with. I see if I can can uh, inspire a, a spark of recognition in, in their eye, like, hey, it's just you and me mm. at, at the same time as it we are these people we're playing, and that helps me. Um, it helps to work with someone like Mary, Working, acro- working across from Mary or um, Barbara Walsh, you know, like looking at them, they're so present. I can't help but be present right there with them. Of course. And not think about me. I'm thinking about you, thinking mm-hmm. about you, my partner. I love that. That helps. Well, I mean, we just sort of segued into to Mary again, but I wanted to talk about First Daughter Suite. And now it's a completely new experience, but you've collaborated with... Um, Mary and you mm-hmm. collaborated with Michael John before. So how useful do you find pre-existing relationships to be in the rehearsal room? Great question. It's everything. It's everything. You have a whole history together and you can you can live with that history right there. Mm. Even if you're playing um, a, two sisters or a mother and a daughter yeah. um, or two enemies, you know, your all of your resonance together is present, and um, Mary's Mary's so easy to play off of in that way. She is um, Mary never gets upset if you shift and do something, try something really stupid. And I don't I don't do stupid things in performance, but in in rehearsal, you know, sometimes I'll think. 
oh, I'm going to try this, you know, and I, I don't tell her, and I come from a different direction, and she always is just right she's there. She's ready to adapt. Right there, wherever you are. She's never going, oh, that's not going to work for me, because I'm not going to, no. She doesn't, whatever you do, she's going to go there with you. She's not going to reject anything. She never says, are you going to, are you going to do that? Or, hey, let's try that. You know, she's always willing to jump on board wherever you're going to take her. Um, consequently, you feel that way with her too, whatever she's going to do, but she's steady. She is solid. She is, uh, present. Um, she's hilarious. Mm. She is, uh, just, you know, she surprises you all the time. She, she is tempestuous. She's, she can, I don't know. She's, there's nobody like Mary. Uh, I, I'd love to be looking into Mary's eyes every single night in the theater. That's just a dream for me. I just had the pleasure of seeing her in Oklahoma. Wasn't she incredible? Yeah. Did you ever think Aunt Eller was a good role until you saw Mary play it? All of it. I mean, truly all of it. Yeah. But um, particularly for me, the ending with her and just her stillness and her, like you said, sort of like her eyes. You can see everything into what she's thinking through that. And I think that's such a beautiful thing it's a deep well absolutely that's exactly the way to do it and and, you know speaking of that I was lucky enough to see First Daughter Suite Mm. live and I sat very close to the stage and I I really will say it was a beautifully intense experience Mm. Um, the best way that I can describe it is that it was very transformative because I really did feel like I was transported out of the public theater Mm. out of New York and into another time altogether (laughs) and I think you said that's also a testament to Michael John and I found you so beautifully present, singing beautifully. And, and I was wondering for you personally, what was the most joyous part of working on that? And in what ways did the intimacy of that space feed you? Mm. Yeah. Um, well, it was a company of women, which is I've never had happen before. Mm. It was almost all women um, on the team, you know, our wonderful stage manager, Tessie Flanagan and uh, Kirsten Sanderson, the director, is fantastic. She's a long collaborator with Michael John. She directed his first lady suite, and she worked with him way back at the beginning. So, you know, we had a, a woman director, and then um, all of those women on stage, and um, that was that was really fascinating and fun and exciting. And um, uh, as I, I really like that theater. I like the intimacy mm. of it, even though it's one of the bigger theater. Is that the Ansbacher? I can't remember. I don't it's remember the, which one. It's the bigger one. Yeah. Um, and I never know what the names of the theaters are um, in there. I like um, I liked about that one because I was playing a ghost. I don't have a fourth wall. I can walk through walls. And so for me... I can always look at the audience and I feed off of the audience like a kind of like a a vampire. I love to look at the audience and I love to catch someone's eye, not to stare them down, but to um, kind of see if I can unlock that thing in them that that is unlocked in me in the moment, Mm. whatever, whatever it is I'm looking for, whether it is, um, you know, because I, I played ghosts the ghost is sort of trying to reach out from a past into 
a person's heart and open it and uh, whether for good or bad and you know my two ghosts I played Hannah Nixon the ghost who is a kind of a cranky ghost and um, I played Robin Bush who is a um, an elevated uh, sea creature ghost who wanted to um, melt Barbara Bush's heart somewhat um, that was an exciting uh, responsibility a gift for me to to get to do and not to sound too airy fairy but you know, if you're going to play, you're going to be doing something ethereal, then you might as well go for a goal like open somebody's heart in the yeah. audience, you know? And so that I can. If I were playing, you know, if I were playing something else, if I were playing a more kind of down-to-earth woman, then that might not be what I was going for. But mm-hmm. I seem to play ghosts a lot. Ghosts and sisters. Hey. Yeah, that's well, my type, I it's guess. It's your type, I guess. <laughs> Um, well, my last question that I want to ask you is what I ask every guest, Mm -hmm. uh, is I'd love to end with a note from you to the American theater. Mm. Oh my gosh. What makes you keep coming back and why does it continue to ignite your soul? Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, um, I've never done it. Uh, I quickly realized when I was over years, over years, I've realized, uh, this isn't a money-making proposition for me. For some people it is. Some people just have a knack for for getting those contracts where, you know, you, you end up, every, every need is taken care of. But um, for me, I went a different route. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a mom. Uh, I have four daughters. So I really, I really have to choose what I'm going to do carefully in order to induce me to to go away from from that home life that's so important. Um, for me, the reason I want to do it, the reason I want to be there is, is for the pleasure of uh, spending a few hours or, or weeks or months or even years when it's the workshop um, with people I adore uh, puzzling through a story to find um, something precious and profound about what it means to be a human being. I love that. Hmm. Well, that's that's it for today. Ah. I want to thank you very much for thank coming you. and for your yes. time and for your wisdom. And uh, with that, I say goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs>